0: Promise No Promises Seeing into the Heart of Things The podcast Promise No Promises unfolds a further series. Seeing into the Heart of Things, Earth and equality within indigenous and ancestral knowledges. This collection of episodes emerged from the Master Symposium in fall, moderated by Truce Martinez and Quinn Latimer, at the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW in collaboration with Culturescapes 2021 Amazonia. The contributions to the symposium were devoted to discussing indigenous thought, decolonial feminisms and the political possibilities of the mythic imagination. Certain questions will preoccupy us. How do indigenous cosmologies create forms for resistance? How does the Western imaginary of the Amazon, from its roots in racial capitalism to its corporate tech paternalistic present, cloud our understanding of how its people and non-human spirits narrate themselves? How do ecological and decolonial practices find their form in the visual and oral matrices of indigenous narratives across the world? Since the long 16th century, the organization of the world has found its hegemonic form in hierarchies of power and possession. Between those who exploit and expropriate and those who are exploited and whose lives, lands and resources are expropriated. This is not the past nor a function of ideology only. If the projected supremacy of one form of life over all others is only made possible by manifold forms of violence, one of these forms remains the invention and constant reinvention of nature by colonial cultures. This invention rests on an idea of progress in which nature is construed as what one emerges from. Indigenous ancestral epistemologies hold a different understanding of the real, though. The land owns us, Aboriginal Australians might say. The podcast series features talks of Vandria Borari, translated by Carolina Brunelli, Katerina Botanova with Quinn Latimer, Paulina Fyodorov, Katya García Anton, Davi and Dario Kopanawa, translated by Sara Saltalamacchia, Nobotic with Anna Garthon Sabogal, Jeremy Narby, and Ashvika Rahman. Ethnicity by Ashvika Rahman. A visual artist from Dhaka, Bangladesh, whose work straddles visual art and documentary practices. She often recontextualizes historical archives using contemporary media, with photography the predominant medium through which she examines systemic social issues. She often works with marginal people of Bangladesh, focusing on the violence against tribal or ethnic groups in the remote hills and peripheries.
1: Hi. It's really new. It's for the first time I'm using all this. I'm (laughs) nervous and cold, clearly, and sorry about my native English. I hope you will survive. Well, I'm cold because I'm from Asia, so clearly it's super chilly for me. I can explain why. I teach in a university. I see school, we call it school, a that started from a drawing room of a crazy photographer, shaidul Alam, who is activist as well. So it was like a small, tiny room. Now it becomes like a eight stories, big university, which is a nightmare for me because I know nothing. I have to study all night right before my lecture. So it was always like I'm more than nervous than my students. And I'm always praying, no one asks me anything. So it's More like I'm actually nervous and confused. And I'm from the most confused country in the world, I can explain how. People who are here know that I'm from Bangladesh, and who are thinking that Bangladesh is part of India. You are absolutely right, but not now. Uh, Some years before, like 72 years before, it was actually part of India. This is a tiny country, Bangladesh. This is exactly from where I, I am in. This is Pakistan, you already know. This is India. So the entire three countries was actually one country. It was like Great India, which was actually colonized by British for 100 years. And we learned sorry and thank you from them. Uh, so many manners as well. I mean, apart from sorry and thank you. But there's Goa and uh, Panchigini. They were not never colonized by British. They were colonized by Europeans. In 1947, I think, I'm bad in history, for sure. Forgive me if I'm saying something really wrong. So in 1947, when actually British left us alone, that was the time when there was a strategy that was taken, it was like a partition between India. So it became like two countries. The Hindu majority became India, which we call Hindustan, and the Muslim majority become Pakistan. So it's more or less like religious geographical map that we have two different countries. Okay, why I said that I'm from the most confusing country, Bangladesh, because Bangladesh is a country which is actually Muslim majority, but right in between India, and we don't speak Urdu, we speak Bangla. So from which part this country will go? It's a huge confusion. So finally, they found out a crazy idea that Bangladesh will remain part of Pakistan. You can see the geographical differences. So it was always crazy and it was never supposed to be together for sure. It was really difficult to actually have these two countries as one country. So this became Western country, truly Western, and this became Eastern country, truly Eastern. I can explain why I'm saying that. Because Bangladesh became like a sub-colony of Pakistan. So the entire operation was happening from Pakistan and we became like again colonized by our own Indian people, which was India before, not now. So then we were like, okay, what to do? Let's survive. And in four or five years, Pakistan took a decision that the Urdu will be the national language. And we all were like, okay, if Urdu is the national language, how will we survive? We don't speak Urdu. And it's not only about language. How will we actually have job? How will we study and things like that? And people from Bangladesh, they started protesting against this thing. This is the language issue. And then following that language, that was like in 1952. And following, it's right a year before my mother was born actually. And then right following that protest in 1971, we had a liberation war, like we fight. It was like a crazy fighting because the army from Pakistan and all the people from Bangladesh, they don't know nothing. So they had to learn how to fight from Indian soldiers and other peoples from outside, and we fight like crazy. And because the geographical location was difficult, it was so difficult for Pakistan to actually defeat us. So we have a new country, which is Bangladesh, like independent Bangladesh. It's not part of India anymore. So people who ever thinking we are part of India, it's not now, at least now. So we had like a total independent country, Bangladesh. We speak Bangla. So it's more or less like we have our own culture. We have our own language. We have everything is happily ever after. Trust me, it's never happily ever after in real life. It's always something else. So again, uh, in, a, in Bangladesh, my mother, when she became like a social worker, she started working for the rights of children and kids, uh, and women, um, of course. And uh, it's mostly like she has been working for the rights of indigenous community and minor community. And she's the most selfish mother, I can explain, don't get me wrong, I can explain why I'm saying that. She's the most one, you will see. And then when I grown up, my father actually died when I was one and my sister was one and a half. I I said one and a half, half, she said two, uh, because she always wanted to be more elder than me. But anyway, so I wanted to become a photographer and my mother made sure that I I became a financial banker. So I started finance and banking and I started working for uh, financial banking. And clearly, my mother was so happy and selfish because she is doing the coolest job, she is being the social worker and I'm doing banking, and I was not happy at all. But I continued to study photography. This is what, because I have been doing photography since my childhood, so I continued photography. And in my final year, I was supposed to do a personal project. And I was always thinking, what is personal project? What is personal? What is the story that I have to tell? And who is asking me to tell a story? Why I have to tell a story? Okay, all right. I mean, I think we have something in mind that we cannot explain in word but in visuals. Imagine that some people stay together for 10 years and then after 10 years, my partner says that, oh, you don't understand me. And I said, oh, I don't understand you either because there is something that we cannot explain in sh- sh- words. There is something that we can explain some, Something else, somehow else, maybe it's visual. And I have been looking back to myself and I've been thinking like, what is my personal story? What is the story that I want to tell? And I remember one incident that happened. One day my mother, she actually bought a rape victim from an indigenous community. She was like seven or eight. Me and my sister both were seven or eight that time. And we have been thinking, okay, all right. We are super excited that a rape victim is coming to our place and it's an indigenous community. It belongs to indigenous community. It was a it. It was not she, it was it, and then we were super excited to meet someone. Actually, we heard from television, we saw paintings, we saw in uh, so many places like newspapers and stuff. She arrived and she was like so excited to see television, she was injured, she had spots in places. But despite all this, she was super strong, she was watching television, she was crazy to see but she was normal kid, she was enjoying everything and me and my sister was like super upset, super disappointed, like oh what type of rape victim is this, what type of tribal is this, she's not crying, she's not trying to commit suicide, she's like a normal kid like us, oh, leave her, leave, her, leave her alone. And this is one memory that I was actually hunting me, why I was expecting someone more vulnerable and why I was expecting a tribal who will touch the television and jump and we'll see freezerator, and we'll be like something else. Because this is how they have been portrayed in cinema. This is how we visual artists have been portraying them. Consciously, unconsciously, the way we actually represent victims, is makes them look more vulnerable. And we have been portraying the rapists in a way where they look more powerful than the victims. This is something that was haunting me, and I was thinking like, okay, I know what I want to tell, and I know what is what need to be tell. I asked my mom, okay, mom, I want to work there where you have been working. My mom have been working there since so long. So this is the first time she supported me. She said, okay, all right, this time I'm gonna support you. And then she actually put me in touch with all the local leader where she had been working before. And then I actually got a map, you see? Now you see the tiny land which is a complicated land be- border between Bangladesh, Myanmar, and India. It's a, it's a hilly area called Hill Tract area. It's mostly the indigenous community lives there. And all the tribal people lives there. And this area is ruled by Bangladesh army because this is a complicated border. And I think like everywhere, all, where there is the indigenous community who lives there, there is a presence of state security forces always there. It's everywhere, it's not only in Bangladesh, trust me. So I actually took the map and I went there, I packed my camera and everything, it was like super glamorous thing to do. Actually, adventurous thing to do, just drop by in a mountain and jungle and document something like a national geography thing and feeling like really cool, having sunglasses, mosquito claims and everything on pack. Back. I went there, there was an indigenous lady who had been following me. Actually, my mom arranged everything that she will be showing me all the places where indigenous rape victims are because those are the people who are not allowed to have the news in mainstream media. So I have to look for them. So I took interviews of some rape victims, I climbed mountains, I actually went through the rivers and everything. I'm tired, dust all over my body, wait, mission accomplished. I'm the boss. I did something really cool. I came back at that evening. I was actually uh, looking for dinner and we went to a local market to have dinner with the lady who had been accompanying me for the entire day. And randomly I asked her like, hey, what do you do and what who is in your family? And she said, oh yeah, Uh, my uh, husband was actually killed by state security forces. I said, sorry, what did you say? Sorry, I didn't get it. Yeah, because we have been actually, serving food to some young people who have been protesting or who have been protesting for our rights, like indigenous rights. Uh, so, sorry, what, what, what rights are you talking about? We already have done something, right? The entire day we shoot something. What rights are you talking about? That was the time she actually explained me how it working there. Okay, all right. Let's see what else is there. It's not only that rape that I have been talking about or are we are looking for, it's that the land grabbing that we have actually, the state is grabbing their land to have ecoparks, companies, factories that we have been talking even yesterday, in today. And I believe some other more years we will be talking about these issues. And then what they, they do with the, and there are some 15 uh, sorry, it's in Bangla, but There are 15 families who have been living in jungle because they, their land was taken out and without any notice, where they have been staying for hundred years and more. We have a resort area. It's more like a hundred and thousands of resort. That is a project. This is in Sajik. That is a project by Bangladeshi army. So they actually made a beautiful touristic area. It's more or less like an area where you can go and you can experience indigenous community and life. It's more like an ethnological museum, and I call it an ethnological zoo. So they made an ethnological zoo over there. What do we do there? We go there for honeymoon, we take photos, but at which cost? Cost of someone's house, cost of someone's land where they have been living for 100 years? Is that what we have been actually doing? Is that what have been? It's not only that land. It's about language also. We are the nation, you know. We fought for our mother language. And 21st February is the International Mother Language. If you Google it, it's because that we fought for our mother language because of Bangla language that we actually have done. We are the same nation who are not allowing them to study in their own language. They have to study in Bangla only. We have been doing the same thing that have been done by Pakistan with us. So. There were 27 tribes in Bangladesh, and now there's some two, three tribal languages no one can speak and write because they have been studying in Bangla. This this language is not only language, trust me, because the language is poetry, language is song, language is movie, language is your culture. So when you actually take out the language, you take out everything. You take out the entire roots. This is something that was actually hunting me. Oh, okay, all right. So it's all interconnected with each other. It's not really an individual rape. The rape is not a rape. Rape is a way to suppress the entire community. It's a weapon. It's a war weapon. So I think I remember one time one of my friends uh, he uh, she actually called me she's a local journalist. She called me, "Hey, uh, come follow me, you will feel something really interesting." I said, "Oh, what is interesting?" she said, there's a five years old girl who is a rape victim. She arrived in a hospital, the government hospital for treatment. You can come and follow me and you will see what happened. I went to the hospital. the like girl was actually sitting blood all over the like, dr- dried blood all over antiseptic cream in places and for the first time she arrived in the city and she was having fruits, like apples and other fruits that never she can get in the forest. For the first time she was having that in the hospital. I entered in the room and she started screaming seeing me. I felt, why, what the hell, what what, what have I done? And the mother said, oh, you belong to Bengali community. She was raped by a Bengali man. So whenever she saw me, she started screaming. I just ran out from the room and I was shaking and I was insulted. I was offended. My nationalistic ego was hurt. Okay, all right. I was always proud to be a Bengali because we fought for our language, we fought for our land, we fought for everything. So I was proud to be Bengali. So there is a fine line between nationality and ethnicity. Nationality comes with the land and ethnicity comes with the relationship with culture, with the relationship with society, with the relationship with so many things, so many other things. I was proud to have this nationality. I am Bangladeshi by born, I am Bangali by ethnicity. They are Bangladeshi by born, but they are not Bangali. They are Chakmas, they are Marmas, they are Tripuras, and they are the thi- that is the fine line when, where the conflict actually started. We expect them to be Bengali. We expect them to change their ethnicity or practice our ethnicity, which is not fair at all. And I think I ran out from the hospital and I was so sad and insulted. I didn't know what to do. I took the last bus from there and I came back to city. I said, I will never go back there. It's not right. I was insulted. Someone was afraid of me. This is not fair. And I think within a month, I, there was one news that actually took my heart out. There was one girl, indigenous girl, like 12-year-old twi- girl. She was picked up from school, uh, kidnapped from school. She was locked in a guest house for some 10 days, and she was raped by some local Bangladeshi ruling party leader. Imagine what. This is the same resort where I was staying. She was right in front of my room, right next to my room. <laughs> I was like, should I just quiet? Should I just run out from this reality? Or should I just get back and get there and try to know what is there? I get back there again. It took me some time to actually get the courage to get back there again. I get back there again and I try to look what is happening there. There was one incident that happened that Sabita Chakma, who was raped by some 10 Bangladeshi truck drivers. Bangali truck drivers and she was burned out and the people found out her body after 15 days and you see this is the area where she was actually raped. I didn't know what to do there. I didn't want to take interviews. I didn't want to do what I have been doing since some one years and next one year I just roam around. I was navigating what I don't know. I was navigating all the places where all these things happening. And I had no plan what to do, what not to do. I just know that I need to know something that I don't know. I just wanted to feel something that I didn't feel. And this is the place where actually she was raped. This is a protest by actually some indigenous people. You can see all the faces, all the faces. Look at the faces there, scattered. They don't know what to do. All they know is like they have to hold each other's hands. They, have, they just know that they have to stand for something, no matter if no one is listening to them, no matter if the mainstream media is not actually covering their news or anything. They have to stand for their own self. This is exactly what they know, they know nothing. And that was never in the mainstream media. The protest and anything, that was never in mainstream media. You see, this is the, this is the girl from Shabita Chakma. You see the face? This is, this is her friend, and you see the mic. is not even a professional one. It was not covered by mainstream media or anything, but they speak out for themselves. There was one incident, another incident, and I realized that there is every alternative minute there is a rape happening there, and state security forces are involved sometimes in this. This is one road where actually our indigenous girl have been moving one day and she was raped and people found the body after 15 days how do you deal with this when you have your dearest one raped and burned out you have a distorted body after some days I'm sorry about these photographs how do you deal with this when you are not allowed to scream out and cry out and ask for justice how do you deal with this how to deal with this? How do you survive? How do you live with this reality? People arrived in hospital to actually get treated, or actually, this is the first time they arrived in the city actually. They took rape victims to get treatment. Look at the faces. They know nothing about the city, they know nothing about these places. And people, Interesting thing is, I realized one thing, whenever a rape victim, tribal rape victim arrives in hospital to get a report, because they they have to have a report to file a complaint, they always have a negative report. And I went to the hospital to ask, because I was there, I know there was a rape, I went to the hospital and asked the doctor, why did you do that? And that, imagine, the doctor is himself is belong to an indigenous community. I said, come on, they belong to your community, why did you do that? And he said, Come on, if I will not do that, someone else will do the same because I am instructed to give a negative report always if anyone, any indigenous girl coming to get a report, rape, a report against rape violence. So if I will not, not do that, someone else will do the same. What makes it different? So I'm doing this. I said, this is not fair. This is not something that you should do, actually. I was so lost that what to do how to deal with these things. And I think one night actually uh, one of the indigenous uh, friends, she actually called me like, hey, you want to come to, uh, I, uh, we have a festival. We have a festival, you should actually join. It's middle in the night, you have to survive. You have to come to the forest in middle of the night to actually join the festival. And I said, what festival is this? So they said like we have a festival that is actually uh, happened when are, there is a rape violence happening in the indigenous village. And we believe that the purity of the village actually lost. So the father of the girls have to sacrifice the animal and feed the entire village. That's how they get the purity back. So for me, the big challenge was like, how can I actually have all this interconnected separation in one frame, because I'm a visual artist, I'm a photographer, if I want to explain something, which is uh, have to be in a frame maybe. So how can I actually have all this in one frame? How can I explain what I experienced throughout the years? That was like a biggest challenge for me and I have been looking for a way and I think there was one way that I figure out that this story has to be told by the people who actually survived, that they can give me the clue. And I figure out a way how to actually explain the story. I still don't think this is the ultimate way that I could actually explain. I can explain what it is. Those are the heroes for me, and I realized one thing, like why I was expecting to see a rape victim as a rape victim, because the way we have been portraying them in film, in paintings, in newspapers, and uh, photographs everywhere, it's a different way that we have been actually doing this. If you will see these photographs, that you will, first thing that will come in your mind, probably, that it's a a random royal portrait. Why do we actually expect to see a royal portrait in this format? This is actually the way we, we have been using the format. This format has been always using for whiles. So we have this hierarchy when we're actually representing something. When we have hierarchy, who will be represented as a royal, who will be represented as a victims. So I have been trying to challenge this this perspective and these photographs is actually printed manually. It's the print like albumin coated on gold. Right after painting, coat painting, when photography arrives, then we know that photography can be reproduced and people can actually have, everyone can have. So royal people have been thinking like how can we make the photographs more precious that everyone cannot afford. So they figure out a way that they have printed the photographs in a way and they coated on gold. It's like more or less like a hundred years old process that photographs have been printing right after. So this is the same way that I actually used for these photographs, because by printing, by formatting, we are making the hierarchy, consciously, unconsciously. We photographers, we visual artists, we made the hierarchy, how to represent victims and how to represent royals and other peoples. So I have been collecting indigenous texts for so long, and this is actually indigenous prayer to be protected by from monster and be protected from the natural disaster. So this is all that they can actually do. When they cannot actually expect a justice from the state, they can all they can do is like pray from the God. So I have been collecting this text, and this is more like a safety circle that I made, I tried to make. This is some way that they actually give me. And then again, you see these motifs actually they made on their own clothes. So by format, by uh, the printing process, and by using this text and everything, I am trying to explain the complex political situation and the complexity behind the rape. And this is always in my mind, like why do we have? they have to actually look down? Why do they have to hide their face? Why don't we look down? Why don't we actually confront their face? Why don't we have uh, eye contact with them? So what I have been trying to do, I will never ask my viewers to actually go through all the complexity. You can just ignore, you can just think like it's a royal portrait and I have been trying to challenge all the mainstream perspective that we visual artists have been created for s- some hundred years. So now we have, I have one clue, like a disturbance that you can dig in or you can just ignore. One drawing that by one rape victim was only seven years old and she actually drew herself how she, w- she looked herself. Now if you will ask me like, what I'm doing, why I'm doing this, who is telling whose story and why, the answer is right here, right now. Now the, each of you here in this room, you know that there is a village, there is a village in Bangladesh and there is a rape violence that's happening against them. There is a suppression that's happening against them. So this is why I'm doing this. Now you all know I'm bringing the topic in the table. I'm bringing the issue in the table. My work, my visual is my key to door, knock your door. This is my key to knock your door. I have been trying to record the history. I have been trying to record their culture. I have been trying to record their, uh, or archiving their culture that is actually missing somewhere, the language, the thing that actually... Will actually b- that photographs can be a proof even after 20 years or 50 years if no one can read or write the language they can find the text somewhere in my photographs. So I have been trying. I have been looking for a way how photography can play little more in society, how visual arts can play a little more in society. Can photography or visual art be like a visual activism? Is it possible to actually have it play a little more in society? Actually. Have a collaboration with the people I have been working on? Or we have been working on? Is it possible to do that? I have always been looking for that. I know nothing. Like I first, I I think when I started my talk, I actually told that I know nothing, I'm trying to know something. And it's been like six, seven years that I have been trying to look for a way how to know the people I don't know, how to feel something that I don't know. I have been suffering for cancer, for last blood cancer for last three years. And I know one thing from cancer that I have a limited time, we have a limited time period. This is so important to take a decision how to consume the time. This is very important to understand how to consume the time. And all the link, if you'll see that all the link, land grabbing, rape, suppression, it's all interconnected to each other. I think one time I actually read Bell Hooks, the famous writer and activist, when she was actually explaining the wave of suppression, it's not only against indigenous community, it's ag- against uh, casteism, it's against racism, it's against classism. We all have, like I said, like we will not only learn, sorry and thank you from British or colonization, it's post-colonization hangover in our mind. We are the same nation who was colonized, we are the same nation who are colonizing even after. With some other people, this is the same mentality. I think some of uh, all of us have not only against indigenous, but also uh, against some people who doesn't speak good English, who doesn't have a good dress sense, who doesn't have access to good education, who doesn't have enough money. So I think it's really important to look into ourselves and things. Are we not actually having any kind of colonized mentality in ourselves? When I'm teaching to my student, I ask them, whenever you are talking about personal story, look back to yourself and think for one second before dropping a one ink in a paper, just think like, do you not have a colonized mind when you are actually talking about someone? I think the most colonized picture I can imagine as a photographer, when a photographer goes to an indigenous village with a big lens and take a photograph with a group of indigenous kids and having middle of the kids, having a big camera, that's the most colonized picture that I can imagine. This is somehow we actually colonize as a photographer. We never take a consent from the people. This is a colonization. So this is, when we are talking about indigenous people, we have to think that it's not only indigenous people that we have been actually, this is is here, this is here that we have to realize, we have to feel. My family member have been arrested sometimes, they have been questioned to actually, uh, about my activism or ag- about my works. And I realized that I'm going in the right direction. I'm telling a story which is important, which is actually making a difference. Now if you will ask me what I'm doing, I'm telling a story, I'm knocking the door. My visuals, my works actually giving me access to tell you the story. Actually, the last picture that I want to show is, this is a map actually. This is a map drawn by uh, indigenous rape victims she was like only seven, and she drew it as a class exercise. This is a map of Bangladesh. It's a little distorted, but yet colorful. And you see that map of Bangladesh is Middle East red, but she made it black. That m- gave me a hope as well. This is, she still has Bangladesh in her ha- heart, so she still belongs to Bangladesh. That gives me a hope again. I started my journey with a Google map, and I ended up having this map of Bangladesh. This map belonged to Rita Tripura. Can I see all the faces that is actually shining, the heroes, the rape victims who are the heroes actually, middle of the catastrophe? And I think art gives me a veil to tell the same story, which is not possible throughout the censorship of mainstream media, throughout the censorship of state. Can this map actually show all these faces?
0: Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Gender Center for Excellence, a research project of the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, Academy of Art and Design in Basel. Conceived as a think tank, Task to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of gender in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit dertank.ch or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. Editing and voiceover Elena Caesar. Music: Niklas Kammermeier Research team Tabia Rotfuchs and Marion Ritzmann Press and Communication, Anna Franke. Technical Support, Esther Hunziger, Karin Bohrer, Konrad Siegel and Chris Handberg. Copyright at Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HDK, FHNW 2020.